Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It is good to be with you. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can go to our website, johnwarrenmedia.com, for more information about our work. You can also send along a comment there using our contact form or send an email directly to me at john at johnwarrenmedia.com. Well, we have uh, been in the Book of Romans for a while a couple of weeks ago, we we had a great episode, I think, with my friend, uh, Char- Pastor Charlie Parrish of Foothills Community Church in Marble Hill, Georgia. And then uh, we had uh, kind of my, my ranting podcast episode last week. If you missed that one, you might enjoy it. Really just uh, talking about a couple of industries and this, this uh, crazy environment that we're in. I've I've had a topic that I have uh, frankly not highlighted because I I I'm a little uncomfortable talking about myself but I've but I've had several old friends have contacted me who have just kind of stumbled across the podcast and they've asked me about my story asked me to 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 tell more of my story and I've done that a couple of times. There was an episode early on where where I, I talked about it a little bit, kind of an introductory one. And then I also, in a conversation with Charlie Parrish on one of the episodes where uh, he was gracious enough to come on, we talked about our our conversion experiences, and and they were similar, surprising and uh, surprisingly. And I have also, over the course of many years now, discovered that my story wasn't quite as unique as as I thought it was. In fact, perhaps strangely, in my classes every year at Circle Christian School, I, I have a day where I, I, I talk about a little bit about my story, and I learned that some of the my students, who are all high school 11th and 12th graders, also struggle with kind of the same topic. So I think there's value uh, as long as I don't make this about me. And as long as you don't think I'm the center of some wonderful story that, you know, revolves exclusively around me, uh, as long as I give glory to God and make very clear the fact that Jesus Christ is central to the story of the way God deals with man. John Warren is just a guy who cares and enjoys teaching and wants to tell the truth on on a podcast. So having said all of that, some of you are probably aware who know me well and others, uh, this, this uh, podcast has developed a broad audience. And so some of you probably just know me through this medium. And uh, I, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about, and, and I'm going to try to do this in a helpful way, focusing on, I think, some of the key theology, uh, the key concepts, key ideas 
that are important for us to understand as as we look at this story. I'm going to kind of focus on 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 those things, not on every trivial detail. So I grew up in a Christian home. I, I wouldn't criticize my church background uh, necessarily. There were there were some smart people there. Uh, there were, you know, obviously some good theologians and probably bad. But for for whatever reason, and this this kind of takes me all the way through college. I didn't really understand some of the big ideas in scripture that are very important to understand. And, and I'll tell you the way that that played out. So I was about 10 years old when my parents had a Bible study at our house and, and it was a, I can picture them today, but I can't tell you their names. They, they were with the campus crusade for Christ is what crew was called back then. And afterwards, it was a husband and wife who taught this Bible study. And afterwards, they, they always had really nice refreshments. And so I would kind of hang out in my room and let the adults do their thing. And there was a big crowd there, I remember, uh, on several occasions. And, you know, 20 or 30 people in a home. And I remember kind of hanging out in my bedroom. And then as soon as I sensed that it was refreshment time, I'd come out and snag some refreshments. I wasn't allowed to do that you know, in advance. And I remember the lady, uh, uh, the, the wife of the, the guy who led the Bible study kind of cornering me one day. And it, and it was, it was really curious. I can look back on my childhood. Um, and I, again, I'm about 10 or 11 years old at this time. And I can look back on, on the, some years preceding this and see how God was putting people into my life to talk about the gospel some in, in various ways, various formats, some helpful, some not helpful. I, I, I don't, you know, that this is, that isn't the point. And I even remember my mom sharing this, the gospel as explained by a four spiritual laws tract uh, during this, this time. And it seemed like soon after that, uh, that uh, this lady cornered me and uh, my brother was a Jeff was with me as I recall. And we both prayed with her to receive Christ. We were then told that what we should do is let our pastor know. And we did so, and that we should be baptized and we did so, and that we should become members of the church. And we did that. And it was an independent church. And, and, and I, I'm sure that there was, you know, I know there was a youth group. I remember being part of it. And I, I, I remember when, that when we changed churches later to a church in, in uh, close to our neighborhood, um, I, I know there's a youth group there and, and, and through my childhood through from that point forward, there were, you know, I probably sat under some decent Bible teaching along the way. So I'm not disparaging those teachers. I'm just, saying very clearly to you that I really didn't understand the gospel. I didn't. I, I knew some verses. I knew a lot of verses. I probably looked and sounded like a Christian sometimes. And, and uh, I, I struggled. I started a struggle that, that really was with me for a long time, for, for a decade or two, uh, well, a couple of decades of adulthood even, where... I doubted 
and had fears about that childhood conversion experience. Now, again, I'm not disparaging those well-meaning people who taught me during this period, but, but I will tell you that one of the things I remember hearing is doubts and fears are from Satan and you should ignore them and you should just grow your faith. You should, you, you know, you need to have faith and trust God and knowing his word and memorizing scripture is how you do that. I even remember a guy named Bill Gothard who had this thing called, I want to say it's the Institute in Basic Youth Conflict. Some of you have probably been to his, you know, if you're older, you probably went to his conferences or whatever they were. I went to a couple of them. And, you know, I'm sure there were some helpful things talked about there and and some heresy, as I remember, um, as well. And But you put all of that together and... I found myself in adulthood living a lifestyle that was everything but Christian. I married a dear, sweet lady who loves our Lord and has been faithful to pray for me and tolerate me for this period that uh, that I'm talking about and, and beyond. But I finally... So I I struggled with doubts and fears. Let's say it that way. I probably prayed some version of what we call the sinner's prayer, asking God to save me. I bet I prayed that prayer a hundred times. I was embarrassed to find myself as an adult still having these doubts and fears. And I, and I, I just couldn't, there were some dots I felt like, or I thought, that I, I couldn't connect in scripture. The, the problem that I had is I really didn't understand justification by faith. I didn't understand. If you go back and, and listen to the series I did on Romans, I, I didn't understand in particular Romans 1, 2, and 3. Uh, I, I add, add 8 and 12 in there too. And Well, you know, you might as well make it the entire book. I, I knew some scripture from that book that I, I kind of had learned in my youth group and learned other places in my home church when I was a kid. And I, I, I knew a lot of the, I, I had memorized several, and, and but I, I didn't really know how it fit together. I didn't understand the righteousness of God. I didn't understand imputed sin, really. I, I and, and maybe this is just a function of a childhood conversion and, uh, but but in any case, I I struggled to understand. That wasn't really my main problem, though. My problem was a sense of self sufficiency. I I grew up, uh, and and when I say grew up, I'm I'm talking about now my banking career. I finished my master's in uh, i i was how old was i 26 27 27 years old and i uh, i believed that i had to work really hard i got into materialism i became a partier i was a harsh leader i i made a ton of mistakes during this period in fact a couple of the people who've contacted me based on listening to this podcast, they've been very gracious and interested in hearing this story, but they're probably thinking, wow, 
if God can save him, if God can rescue him, if God can change his life, then then he can he can do those things for anyone. And I, and I, I get it and I, I agree, but I made bad decision after bad decision uh, by God's grace. I enjoyed success in 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 my banking career. If you watched that career, you would say, yeah, he was he was materially successful. And, and and there were yeah there's a good team and I some dear friends from that period. It wasn't all horrible. I, I don't want to paint that picture either. But I I was the epitome of the sinner in Romans one and two that Paul talks about, who was self reliant, self sufficient, didn't really give a lot of thought, a lot of serious thought to God. I didn't. We went to church on occasion and 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 uh, left the church largely. It wasn't until I just came to the end of myself. I became miserable. I I relied on a lifestyle uh, that included alcohol, uh, lots of it, and uh, I. God was gracious with me and brought along a series of events that just made me come to the end of myself. Now, I went and knocked on my pastor's door. His name was Keith Reese. He was at an independent church in Orlando that we were part of. And I had been, uh, so my banking career moved me around a little bit. And when, when we were first in Orlando, I... I was, we were members of this church and I was a deacon and then the bank moved me to Brevard County to Melbourne, the Melbourne area. And, uh, we kind of lost contact, but then, uh, got promoted and moved back to Orlando and renewed that acquaintance. Well, through, through a series of events, I finally got the courage to go and meet with him, to tell him the story I've just told you and to tell him that I'm really not sure really wasn't sure that I was a Christian, that my con- childhood conversion experience was authentic. And, and I thought, you know, that would be this job dropping moment for him. And, and he'd do a backflip out of his chair and, and, uh, and he didn't, he was gracious with me. And he, he walked through scripture with me for a couple of hours and, and the, the takeaway there. And, and, and I am grateful to this day for this, this change in thinking and what, what he, what he said in much more gracious terms than this is something like John, you, you are far too self-reliant, self-sufficient. This is not about you. It is about God. In fact, salvation is about glorifying God. And here is the real gospel. Here's what's going on when you repent and turn and put your trust in Christ it is he who saves you, not, not your words, not your effort. I had become, become hardwired to think that even though I didn't believe you could work your way to heaven by being good, I thought you had to do the right things and check the right boxes in, in another sense of moralism to be truly born again, to be saved. And the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not the good news of John Warren. It's not about me. It is about God's righteousness, his mercy, and his grace for us. 
And if you struggle like I did with those concepts, I pray that you will go back and find my episode on, in particular, Romans 3, but you could listen to all of them. And I think that perspective will, will, will be helpful to you. It was certainly helpful to me. And as I sit here today, I don't know whether I was truly regenerated, truly justified by faith when I was a 10 or 11 year old. I, I don't know. Or was it later when in sitting in Keith's office? I am unsure, but I know as sure as I sit here that I have trusted Christ and that I do understand the gospel much more clearly as an adult. And I am eternally grateful for those people who poured into me, probably prayed for me. I have a dear grandmother who died a few years ago who I know prayed for our entire family again and again and again faithfully. And and some of you who hear this podcast might be in the list of people I should thank. And I hope you'll accept my thanks. I hope you'll uh, reach out even. And I, I, I want to add I want to add some more to the story. I want to I want to try to paint a picture of what happened from that point forward. I believe scripture teaches very clearly, and I, I don't believe this is a subjective matter at all, that God pursues us. We don't naturally seek after him. Uh, you've heard that kind of talk on this podcast. Pastor Charlie Parrish does a great job when he talks about that, making that very clear. I didn't instantly become a super saint or a super theologian. There was a growth process. My my guilt and sin had to be dealt with. It has consequences. I had the pleasure. Uh, one, one of those inputs, I'm going to tell you about one of those inputs that I'm kind of hinting at uh, from from during this this period, this period of a few years where God was clearly drawing me. One was a guy named George Kern. And George, if you hear this, I, 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 I've never said this to you, uh, but, but, but I, uh, he, he shared his testimony. He was the CEO and president of SunTrust Bank for all of Florida. And, and I, I reported to him for a period of time and he invited me to a prayer breakfast of some kind at the Citrus Club, which is a downtown club in Orlando. And, and I, I really wasn't sure what was going to go on there. And, and I, I remember some of the other people who were there at, at, at the table that we had. And, and I remember him explaining his sinful life and how God had saved him and talking honestly in front of hundreds of business people, key business people, uh, he talked really candidly about how God had changed his life. He talked about his guilt for his sin. He, he, even, he even talked about his divorce and his, and his children and uh, his son, I, I believe. And, and it, it was just, I, I, I don't know how to describe this, but it was so helpful to hear a guy who I admired professionally talk about his faith in Christ, talk about his mistakes, his life of sin, and how God pursued him and completely changed his life. I believe he was a dramatically changed man from the guy that he was prior to that time. So 
that really encouraged me. In fact, I, I wrote him a, a little handwritten note, which I'm, I'm not particularly good at today and wasn't then. And, and I, I just remember thanking him. And uh, we had kind of an emotional moment. He came down to my office a few days later and thanked me. And, you know, he just, he doesn't know this, but he played a, if you know George, I, I, you know, I hope you'll reach out to him and encourage him to listen to this podcast because um, if you, and if you were there that day, you know what I'm talking about. It was a powerful, powerful testimonial to God's faithfulness in his life, God's mercy and grace. And, and I, I'm, I'm not reading a bunch of scripture during this, uh, th- this story, uh, because I, I, I want you to hear the story, but, but if you, I've referenced Romans several times, and I would also take you to Colossians 2, verses, oh, I don't know, 6 through 15-ish for a, another explanation of some of the detail of the implications of the gospel. And I I want to, in this effort, you know, I've talked before about how when I started this podcast, I want to be sure that I'm proclaiming that I'm talking about real truth. We named it Relentless Truth for a Reason. Mark Steves was uh, very helpful, our marketing guy who um, uh, he, he owns the firm that we engage to to start this effort. And he and Josh Brown, who owns the production firm that I use, his productions and uh, our spouses and whoever else would listen, got together and figured out that we should name the podcast Relentless Truth. And that it was after much thought and prayer, because I do want to proclaim biblical truth in all that I do. I'm not leaving that out today because it's not significant. It is significant. The gospel, the fact that uh, God sent his son to be born of a virgin on this earth who lived a sinless life, was executed on a cruel Roman cross and raised on the third day, conquering sin and death and was seen by many and then ascended and sits at the right hand of the father, making intercession for us. That is the beautiful gospel. This justification by faith alone and Christ alone is what Paul is talking about in Romans 3. So I don't want to leave that out of the story. But I do want to just say this, that God provided input after input. There were, there were times where my life would have looked like it was completely together to you. And it was, in fact, not at all. It was almost in a complete shambles. I was guilty, scared, unfulfilled, cowardly. I could go on, but I think you get the idea. And it, God, it's as if he reached down and grabbed me by the back of the neck and shook me through a, a series of events and inputs and scripture and a counselor. Um, I, there, there are, you know, I'm going to leave people out if I start naming names and and events. And so I'm trying not to do that, but I can just tell you that there were so many inputs by people who didn't even know they were, they were impacting me and, and, and God used all of those. And I'm sure that's true of your life too. I, I want to encourage you though, that if you're, if you're experiencing doubt and fears, you, you can come to our savior and simply repent of your self-sufficiency, turn away from your self-sufficiency and trust in Christ, rely on him, ask him to save you and he will. And there's no more important message. And if you're thinking, Oh, come on, John, you just, you just had a weird experience and, and you're, you're using this as a crutch. No, I'm not. It's been a long time now and I'm not, 
I've studied scripture. I understand theology. And, and I'm telling you that there is one way to the father and that is through his son. I know that sounds preachy and it sounds like it's all about me. And I, I, I'm, I'm doing that deliberately in this episode. So that hopefully it, it will encourage you and, and will respond to some people who've asked me to, to tell the story. I then a few years later in a strange series of events was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer. I didn't have any pain. I had very little in the way of symptoms and, and I'm not going to describe those cause they're a little weird, but, but, uh, the, the doctor who Matthew Apter, who did the, was the gastroenterologist who did the colonoscopy that discovered a golf ball sized tumor in my sigmoid colon. He actually laughed in his office and said, well, you don't have cancer, but we'll do a colonoscopy to convince you of that. And I woke up to hear that I did, in fact, have cancer. Had to have uh, surgery to have. Uh, thankfully, I, I had colon cancer in the right part of the colon, the part that is on my left side. I say right in terms of it being the, the best area probably to have cancer in because they were able to resection my colon. Everything still works just fine, and uh, they were able to get all of the cancer, but it had spread to my lymph nodes, a number of lymph nodes, and that, that gave me a lower survival percentage until I completed, after the surgery, six months of chemotherapy, aggressive chemotherapy, which I uh, will say God was faithful um, and, and had really prepared us as a family for theologically, I would say. We were stronger uh, and involved in a church and and living lives that mattered, uh, not perfectly, but we had our feet under us theologically and otherwise uh, emotionally. And I, I remember God's faithfulness and it not being so horrible. My wife says, no, that's because you were the one taking the drugs and it was horrible. So uh, I am thankful for God's faithfulness through that. I'm thankful for his healing uh, it has been a couple of decades now uh, from from that experience, and I, I am uh, grateful for that. He, he uses, God has set up the world so that he uses our suffering for his glory and for our good. And so uh, I can see now, looking back, how a number of these events have prepared me to, to do what I do today. Speaking of what I do today... I had the blessing, and some of you are part of these groups, of uh, being part of some bank startups. The first one was a year old when I got there, and, and we, we, we sold that one a few years later to um, ultimately to Fifth Third Bank. And then there was a, there was a group of us that, that decided to leave there and uh, partner with an existing bank called Florida Choice Bank. And uh, a, a guy named Ken LaRoe and uh, a guy uh, who died a couple of years ago named Bob Porter uh, and, and some others uh, were part of that bank. Uh, I remember their board members fondly. And, and we, we combined our, our efforts, the, the Orlando kind of Orange and Seminole County part of Orlando combined with their efforts in Lake County and had a uh, successful undertaking. Alabama National Bank acquired that bank, and then we did a third one called Andorin Bank along the way, and uh, that one we sold to First United Bank, uh, 
Rudy Shupp's bank down in South Florida. So, so three banks in, in succession, uh, a group of talented, it wasn't exactly the same group each time, but really talented people. I, I was blessed to get to be president or CEO of those banks and, and, it is by God's grace and the efforts of some amazing people, including board members and others. And, you know, it wasn't perfect, especially since uh, we started Andrew and uh, right as the 2008 was about to happen. And we didn't really, the regulators knew, but we didn't know how difficult that was going to be. So that experience, you know, really, I, I, I had the blessing of just having a really rewarding uh, banking career. I, I was probably born with or soon after birth acquired this interest in several things that make a person successful at banking. One of those is kind of a unique combination of being a dork and into data, into into analysis, and also enjoying people and, and being decent at communicating. There, there might be some podcast episodes that make a good argument against that, but I, I hope not. So I think that combination of skill sets equipped me well for the the industry i know that god blessed in spite of me uh, an awful lot of the time uh, i am grateful and i i really mean that that isn't just some humble talk i am grateful for the people i got to work with over those years who were such a rich blessing in so many respects and uh, many are, are friends today. And although we do a lousy job of keeping in touch, uh, that's just an important part of my story. I had this urge and I, I sat down with my pastor, R.C. Sproul. I was an, uh, an elder there at his church, St. Andrews, for a few years. And, and I, I invited him to lunch and sat down and, and said, you know, I've, I've got this urge to at some point, my banking career is going to be over and I, I've got this urge to do something more meaningful with my life. And he provided good counsel and coaching and it, it was counterintuitive, uh, but 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 he, uh, he he did such a good job of if you knew him, you know that he he'd quite a mind and quite a thinker and had a nice way of talking about complex thought in simple terms that anybody could understand. So I walked away understanding what he was telling me, thankfully. And, uh, but, it, but it wasn't a sudden kind of a thing. I just had this urge and, and, and to do something more meaningful. I, I, it wasn't that banking was horrible, that I couldn't make a difference in the lives of people or anything like that. I, I was involved in my church at that point and, and began to engage in ministry in various ways and, and had done that at various stages previous to this. But I, I really thought that vocationally I, I was going to do something more meaningful. So I got on some websites and sent a couple of resumes here and there, not, nothing too serious. And a, a couple of years later, there was a, there was a school in Aurora, Illinois that was looking for a CFO. And, and I, I responded to them and got a call from one of their board members, like within 24 hours. And I remember he was traveling out in California. So this is in Aurora, Illinois, which is just about 30, 35 miles west of Chicago. And, and I remember uh, he called me and said, well, you know, you don't want to move up here and do that job, but we could use your help. And I, and I, he went on to tell me a story and it's, it's a matter of public record now, but he, he told me the story of their struggles with their bank and, and they needed to refinance their debt. And, and I, I just started, you know, helping them returning their phone calls and 
we had a couple of conference calls with their existing bank and they had already been foreclosed on and had signed a stipulation agreement. And I, I was kind of negative about, you know, telling them, well, I think it's too late. I engaged the help of a good friend, Tom Coletta, who is still in banking and, and helped me help them uh, tremendously, worked really hard over, oh, a six or eight month period. And, and we had a successful outcome. We found after talking to some loan sharks and some other people that you'd laugh if I told you all the stories, but, but God was faithful and provided a legitimate lender and uh, they replaced the debt. And, and in the meantime, the school got a huge discount on the debt. And uh, that means they were able to reduce their debt from uh, a very large number to still a large number, but about 60% of that original number. And uh, we, we walked through all of that and then Paul House, who died last year, Paul uh, was, this goes back about 10 years, Paul, I'll, I'll never forget, he drove me to the air, airport after a praise service that they had. They, they always do such a good job of glorifying God when God works at this school with significant milestones being reached. And they had a praise service I flew up for, and he and his wife drove me back to the airport. And I remember him saying, you know, you helped our school. I've got a list of friends. Could I, could I send you the list of friends I have who are in schools that are struggling? And I said, sure. I didn't, I just, it was just a, a reaction. I thought, yeah, sure. I'd be glad to help if I can. And I was still working at the bank. Our bank had been acquired by then and I was working for first United and I was, um, I, I was happy to, uh, to, to do that, uh, to try, try to be helpful to them. And, and I remember uh, months later, I ended up getting, a call from Paul to say, I want you to go to Colorado Springs and meet Dan Egler, the new president of the Association of Christian Schools International, the biggest association of Christian schools in the country. And I was familiar with them because my daughter attended a Christian school in, in Orlando and I, I, I knew who they were. And so I went out there and, and, and uh, one thing led to another. Uh, they talked about the need that they had throughout the country for uh, financial help for Christian schools is what the, the broad sub subject is. So I was able to uh, to help and eventually left the bank, asked uh, Rudy, the CEO, if I could uh, pull away. And he agreed. We agreed on a multiple year strategy to do that over time and uh, did so and uh, started my own little company called Christian Financial Solutions. I, it's uh, the DBA is CFS Financial. You'll find it on my website and part of this story. But I got to then just start working with Christian organizations all over the country. And that, that really, you know, didn't occur to me right away, but that was that thing. I believe that a few years earlier I had talked to RC about that. I had had this passion for. And so I, I know I'm in the weeds now, but I want, to, I want to tell you one more part of the story. Um, I, I did this work uh, and, and successfully, and I, I wrote a book called the financial rescue plan for nonprofits. You can find it on Amazon or wherever you get books. Um, wrote that book uh, years ago, uh, 2013-ish. And I really enjoyed the work, but I still had a kind of a whole kind of a capacity for more ministry. And that didn't mean I was bored. I was traveling all over the country to visit with schools at my own expense. And and I, I was able to engage with uh, over over 250 of them now. Uh, and really enjoy and value that work. Some churches as well, some parachurch ministries, and a few, not many, but a few for-profit regular companies. 
Um, I didn't really realize that God would see fit to use the skills a banker would have in in this in this way, but he but he has again and again and again. And the stories are are incredible, and I'm grateful to have had the opportunity to be um, a small part of that. But you just never know, you know. And I'm sure your story is similar in that you just don't know what God is going to use in various ways. And I I remember my wife read a newsletter for my daughter's school, Circle Christian School, and this is about eight and a half years ago. And they were struggling to replace a, a really beloved teacher. And, and I knew who that teacher was because my daughter had her and said, wow, this is the best teacher on earth. And, uh, and she was awfully good. And she had kind of a big following among the families and all. And I could just tell that, that from the timing of this, my wife could tell that, that you know, there's some distress over needing to hire someone to teach U.S. government and economics for the next year. Well, I contacted uh, Diane Richardson, who was the upper school director, and uh, ended up meeting with her. You know, just said, you know, I'm not sure I could do this, but I'm I'm a banker, and uh, we I passionately follow government and love the Constitution. But I, I and I I had taught as an adjunct professor at the University of Central Florida in finance department, so I knew. I knew a little bit about the classroom and classroom management and course management and grade book and standards and all of that. But I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not this wonderful government teacher. And she said, well, why don't you come in? We'll meet. And we did. And I, I can't remember who else was there. I believe maybe Brenna Cannon, maybe Sally Bush. Uh, but uh, Diane was so gracious and kind to me and explained um, the, the, the role and, and I, I said, okay, sure, I'll, I'll try. And my daughter uh, was a uh, senior that year, and they agreed to let her be my teacher's assistant, which I wasn't sure what a teacher's assistant was because I never had one at UCF. But um, so, so we're in this classroom that had this back area, like a little office and a restroom back there. And my daughter would stay back there and just kind of do her own thing. And, and every now and then in the course lecture, I remember this first year so fondly, um, if, I, if I got out in front of my skis a little bit, she would, um, she'd kind of walk around and look at me and, and she would tell me, uh, sometimes on the ride to school, it was really cool. Uh, on those days we rode in together and, uh, it was just awesome. Just, you know, high school senior, I get to spend, Oh, it's about a 40 minute drive. And, and it's just, just a wonderful time. And, and she was helped me so much to know how to communicate with young people. You know, dad, they don't think your dad jokes are funny. Dad, you say the cheesiest things again and again. They don't like that. They don't like it when you do. just be real. Don't don't try to like suck up to them or act like you're cool. Just just be who you are and they'll respect you. And and I, I'm, I'm synthesizing lots of conversation, lots of input. But I learned so much during that year and my class became popular. And and, and so um uh, I, I was teaching it that first year, just just a couple of classes on two campuses, and it expanded. And then eventually, Diane added, said, "Hey, would you like to teach a Bible class called World Religions and Philosophy? It's an apologetics class." And oh my goodness, I thought, "Wow, I've been training for the last few years for this, um, many years for this." And and you, you remember, I mentioned that I was waking up early and and reading everything I could get my hands on. And, and I, 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 during, during a season of life for many years. And I, I thought, wow, I'm, I, I'm just, this is my lane. And I, I, I got to, I got to teach and, and it, it, 
this is my eighth year there now. And I, I just, it, it is the most fulfilling. I get to be in classrooms with this year, 86 students who are, they just give me hope for their generation. They are evidence of God's grace. They're smart. They're talented. They're, you know, is it perfect? No, no, no place is. But, but this, this um, block scheduling, uh, we're accredited by Cognia and another organization and, and uh, a, a statewide organization in Florida and, and uh, Cognia being the, the big national accreditor. And it's just a, it's just a wonderful place. I get to serve on the board. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's not all perfect in hearts and rainbows. We've had challenges and, uh, but God has been faithful. God used Jim and Linda Werner who founded that school in our lives. Like you wouldn't believe. I don't know that I've ever told the whole story, but we wouldn't, we wouldn't be there today unless they had been gracious and giving and loving to our family when our daughter was in fourth grade. That's how far back this goes. And I could, I, you know, I've now I've named names and I, I'm going to leave a bunch of people out and I, I regret that. But so, yeah, I get to do, I get to do several things now. Um, who would have thought that God would use a wretched sinner like me who had doubts and fears and lived in sin for years uh, who would have thought that he would rescue me and save me and give me a heart for ministry and not just give me a heart for ministry, but give me a season of training and then allow me to, to teach, to use my banking experience, to work with nonprofits. And uh, I, 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 I am living the dream. I got to this podcast because some students recommended that I, do something to share my course content outside of the classroom. And I thought about lots of options and analyzed it over more than a year and, and uh, thought uh, about a year and a half ago, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to jump in the deep end. I not sure that I know what I'm doing, but I talk for a living. So hopefully I can communicate clearly and we jumped right in and, and here we are. So I, I get to do three things. I, I consult with, uh, as I said, mostly Christian schools, uh, the other churches, parachurch ministries, and a few for-profit companies. I do lots of negotiating with banks and financial institutions of other types and do replacement financing, uh, do some board coaching, some strategic planning, those kinds of things. So that's kind of one bucket. Another one is I teach my most rewarding and engaging efforts are in the classroom. I teach uh, for, I have six different uh, sections of three, uh, two courses, uh, three each. One is U.S. government economics, and the other is the uh, apologetics class that I mentioned before. And then uh, my my third thing is this podcast. So this is truly a story of God's faithfulness. I I hope it has been helpful. It feels like a lot of rambling about personal details about me, with which I'm pretty much uncomfortable highlighting. But I hope you're encouraged. Um, I don't want to say stupid things like if God can use a wretched sinner like me for his glory, he can certainly use you. But I mean that. And um, I would I would urge you to 
if you're struggling to seek uh, counsel, uh, biblical, biblical counsel, seek the truth, spend time in God's word. I, I, I know I mentioned it in passing a couple of minutes ago, but it's as if God shook me out of bed in the morning at 4, 4.30 for several years, and I, I studied and studied and studied scripture. And I, I still am passionate about studying scripture, knowing, knowing God's truth and applying it. But there was, there was a ministry that, that was so helpful to me from a counseling standpoint. And uh, I, there, there were a couple of them that were just excellent for me from a counseling standpoint. And they focused, they pointed me to scripture and the true gospel back during that crisis of faith that I experienced. I, I'm so thankful that even though I'm not a very courageous person and I'm so thankful that I was able to, by God's grace, muster the courage to go knock on Keith Reese's door. And I'm thankful that he was gracious enough to sit down with me for those couple of hours and it didn't end there. He he was a, a good friend and counselor beyond that. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm grateful for, for him and so many others that God used to provide those inputs. I, I hope this is encouraging. Our great hope in Christ. This is really not a story, a depressing story. It's a story of our great hope in Christ, that it is he alone who transforms us. We simply come to him with empty hands, trusting him, turning from our self-sufficiency and trusting in him. And, and, and the beautiful thing is, and we learn this from scripture, that he is pursuing us to conform us to the image of his son. So this isn't, you, you don't have to talk God into loving you. You don't have to, you don't have to work hard to get, to, to dust yourself off, to become appealing you know, there, there, there's a lot of scripture about how to walk by faith and live the Christian life. But when, when we are converted, we don't have to be good enough to merit God's favor. If you struggle with that, and I sound like I'm speaking some foreign language or this doesn't make sense, I hope you'll reach out through the contact form or through sending an email to John at johnwarrenmedia.com. This feels, this this talking about these things into a microphone feels a little detached if I'm candid, but my hope is that this is a warm blessing that might encourage you to reach out for help if you need it. The sometimes having a person who is mature in the faith, who understands truth, who doesn't use buzzwords and sincerely loves our Lord. Sometimes that person is able to help us along the way in our journey. We're made for community. There, there are times that I don't like community. Uh, I joke sometimes that I, I'm, I'm an ambivert. I'm, I'm between introversion and extroversion, and I, I do just fine if I'm not in big groups. But, but I also need community. Uh, we need each other. God set the world up so that we are to help each other grow. We're to make disciples. That's powerful language to me. We're, we're supposed to make Christ followers. And, and I, I want to do that. And that's why I've shared this story with you. We're going to get back on track next week with an, an episode about the economy. And, and I, I know what a juxtaposition talking about my life story and God's faithfulness and then switching to this crazy economy. But I, I want to be helpful to you 
this audience, this Relentless Truth audience. I want you to um, understand as much as possible what is going on and to the extent that might inform all of us on what is coming down the road. I, I want to be candid and, and share that. I'm passionate about the government's role in the economy and what they should and shouldn't do. Uh, I don't always agree with my friends over at the Federal Reserve or the Treasury or Goldman Sachs, but I, I will tell you the truth about what what is apparently going on. I'm troubled by the national debt. I, I think it matters. So few politicians will talk about it today, much less do anything about it. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about that next week as well. So I hope this has been a blessing to you. If, if you would, uh, you know, a, a comment, if appropriate, on uh, any of the social media channels uh, would be great. Follow me or John Warren Media on Facebook or Twitter if, you, uh, if you're inclined to. Or we're on Instagram as well. Uh, we're also on LinkedIn uh, under, under my name. Um, and and I, I hope you'll reach out. And again, if we can help, send, a, send along an email to john at johnwarrenmedia.com. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcast, or you can go directly to my website, johnwarrenmedia.com, and you can find our library of episodes, including this one, there. So please uh, reach out and uh, uh, let me know if I have created concerns uh, if I've encouraged you, I, I hope you'll you'll take next steps to to become a Christ follower. So may God bless you richly and keep you. And I look forward to being with you again next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren. Music